From the concert halls to the juke joints, from churches to festivals in the fields, welcome to another episode of Bill Street Caravan, celebrating the sounds of Memphis for more than 20 years. Heard around the globe on NPR Worldwide. Hi, I'm your co-host, Pat Mitchell-Worley. And I'm Jared J.B. Boyd. This week on Bill Street Caravan, we have Memphis's hometown favorites, Lucero. Grammy-nominated blues man Guy Davis will be with us to deliver an installment of the Blues Hall of Fame, an exploration of the lives of the pioneers and innovators enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame here in Memphis, Tennessee, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. That's all coming up right now on Bill Street Caravan. Hey, Pat. Hey, JB. This week, we've got some hometown cooking from one of our beloved local treasures, Lucero. Not to be confused, of course, with the famous Mexican singer of the same name. You know what, JB? That's funny you say that, because I remember when Lucero first started and they made a storm in Memphis. Everybody was talking about them. And then I was in... I was in Texas and I said something. I was going to South by Southwest. They were playing. And I said something about Lucero, and they were like, "You mean the Mexican singer Lucero?" And I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> Had no idea. So we not only caught up with the favorite band of local fans, but we also caught them at one of the most anticipated annual events for music lovers: their annual homecoming show the Lucero Family Block Party. You know, that's right, Pat, but we've got a twofer also today because we circled back to check in with the group just a couple weeks ago at their album release party, too. Now, new fans of the band and longtime supporters alike should be pretty thrilled that the group has been particularly productive over the past few years. The pandemic didn't slow them down at all, not as far as the studio's concerned, at least. In 2021, they released When You Found Me, and we're still in the wake of the rollout for their latest album, Shoulda Learned By Now. Both records showcase the band's creativity, ranging from upbeat, danceable tunes to the more somber selections that really settle into the listeners emotionally. The group's been active for more than 20 years and still continues to captivate audiences, all of them. And we think you'll hear it in the excitement of both evenings. We'll revisit today that the band's fans have a special way of showing their appreciation for Lucero's music. You know, Pat, I thought it was just the hometown folks here in Memphis who really love mixing it up with Lucero the way that they do. But I happened to be traveling down in the Gulf Coast once, and they were playing a gig, and the vibes were just the same. It's big fun and big energy with a big dose of Memphis on top. Let's take a big old listen. Here's Lucero on Bill Street Caravan.
just before dark in the Pink Valley sky. I hear the night coming down the road. She left before sundown, and now I got nowhere to go.
played it before. That's the first time we ever played it. Thank you very much for, for letting us try those out. Here's more from Lucero, live on Bill Street Caravan.
this wasn't on the list, but uh, we'll do it for Schultz, huh? He, w he would understand. <laughs> that was his favorite note, That was Lucero live on Beale Street Caravan. For more info on the band, visit luceromusic.com. We'll be back with more music from Lucero in just a bit.
Up next, Grammy-nominated bluesman Guy Davis takes us through the life histories of the pioneers and innovators enshrined in the Blues Hall of Fame. This segment is brought to you by the Blues Foundation and it's also available as a standalone podcast through iTunes. Johnny Ace and Big Mama waved, smiled, bowed, and headed off stage as the cheers died down. It was Christmas night, the late show, and they had one more set. Johnny opened the dressing room door and saw empty bottles scattered across the floor. Johnny's girlfriend and Big Mama's girlfriend were already there, smoking and joking, with a DJ from KCOH known as The Bellman. Johnny sat on a dressing table and threw his arm around his girl. Johnny took the vodka bottle out of the bellman's hand and swigged. Big Mama practically snatched it right out of his mouth. Johnny pulled a pistol out of his pocket faster than Big Mama, put the bottle to her lips, pointed the gun at her, pulled the trigger. Everyone shrieked. Snap. Johnny laughed. (laughs) Big Mama grabbed the gun out of his hand. Don't you point that thing at anybody else, she told him. Big Mama popped open the revolver's chamber, spun it like a roulette wheel, and put the gun back in Johnny's hand. He snapped the chamber shut. It don't shoot, see, he said, and pointed it at his girl's head. Snap! Everyone was cussing and yelling. Johnny cackled. I ain't gonna hurt anybody, he said. He looked down the barrel, pressed it to his temple, and pulled the trigger. Bang. Big Mama looked at Johnny and saw his eyes roll. He drooped, keeled sideways, and crashed to the floor. Everyone still thought he was kidding. He just lay there smirking with a penny hole in the side of his head. Then the red blood spilled out of the other side like ink. They screamed and ran. The bellman called his radio station to break the news. Somebody had to tell Mr. Roby that his biggest star was dead. Don Roby stayed home for Christmas night and left his business partner, Evelyn Johnson, to handle the money at Johnny and Big Mama's show. The duty of informing Roby of the tragedy fell to Evelyn. Big Mama came along for moral support. In the car, Evelyn clicked on KCOH. The tribute had already begun. So darling, I sing my song. Don Roby opened the door. He had on red slippers and a green robe. He held a crystal tumbler full of golden liquid. Evelyn wore black patent leather heels, a tartan skirt, and white cashmere sweater. Behind her stood Big Mama Thornton. They heard KCOH crackling behind him. They stared at him. Big Mama shook her head. He could smell Big Mama's cigar smoke, swisher sweet. He looked up and said, How could I have killed him? I wasn't even there. It's no accident that everyone, including his own business partner, suspected Don of having a hand in Johnny's death. He spent years deliberately building the reputation that fit right in with such a scheme. Every storyteller has a medium, from radio, TV, movies, and magazines right down to the front porch. Don Roby worked the grapevine. He knew that a power gesture travels word of mouth through a small community like the music business. Roby liked to bundle all the cash he'd make from a show at his nightclub, stuff it in a money bag, and walk it into the bank with his gun in his hand to make the deposit. When a rumor made the Houston nightlife circles about a con man getting the best of Roby in a deal, 
Don found the man on the street and punched him out where everyone could see. His myth reached epic heights back when he won the contract of Johnny Ace. The conquest began when Roby got a call at the Peacock Records office from a disc jockey in Memphis. The jock said, I don't know much more about records than how to play them. Roby listened. But I cut a song on this kid that's a guaranteed hit. The DJ went on. I met your sales guy here at the station. He said, you know how to get the thing in stores. Get it some airplay. Collect from distributors. Roby's silence unnerved the DJ. He kept talking. I just think it'd be a heck of a thing for a white DJ and a black mogul such as yourself to go in together down there. At last, Roby spoke. I'm a black man and a white man. I can whip your tail or outsmart you. <laughs> okay, uh, I started a little record company called Duke Records. Roby said, send the master back with my salesman, and the partnership begins. Roby hung up. The white DJ barely knew what was going on, but shipped Johnny Ace's record to Houston, half on good faith and the rest out of fear. The DJ heard nothing more from Roby for two weeks. He found a fresh issue of Billboard in the lobby at work. He opened it up and flipped to a full-page ad. Don Roby proudly introduces Duke Records. The hot new R&B company debuts with the smash hit My Song by Johnny Ace. As the next issues of Billboard would attest, the ad was more like a prophecy. My Song reached number one on the R&B charts and stayed there for two and a half months. But the DJ heard nothing from Roby. Worse yet, he received nothing from Roby, not a nickel. The DJ built up the courage to go see his silent partner in person. He walked right into the Peacock Records headquarters and into Don Roby's office. I'm here to work, he told Roby. I quit my job and I want to do my part for the company. Roby gave a moment's eye contact. He slid open a desk drawer. He removed a silver 45 caliber handgun. The DJ saw diamonds glinting in the grip. Roby set it down on the desk in front of himself. He slid open another drawer, and he pulled out a little bundle of cash and tossed it on the desk in front of the DJ. And another. In all, Roby tossed out ten little bundles without saying a word. He rocked back in his chair and looked the DJ in the eye and said, You got bought out. The story got around through the small fraternity of rhythm and blues record companies, performance distributors, and radio people. Stingy distributors began to pay Roby back from records he'd shipped them years before. Don deeply appreciated the ripple effect of one powerful gesture. After Christmas night 1954, virtually everyone in the business simply said, Johnny got bought out. Roby did nothing to clear the air. Johnny's funeral was the biggest story in the news. B.B. King and Bobby Blueland served as pallbearers. Mourners lined up for blocks and filed past Johnny's station wagon parked outside the church. Roby bumped into Big Mama Thornton standing over Johnny's open casket. You sure know how to throw a funeral, she said. She tucked a bullet into the pocket on Johnny's suit and walked away. After Johnny sank beneath the soil, Don went for a golf date with the radio station general manager. Tough break with Johnny, radio man said. Hey, that night nearly killed me, too, Don replied as he lined up a putt. The radio man felt a drop of sympathy. Curious, he tilted his head to ask how. Don said, 
I had to give 3,000 refunds when Johnny couldn't go back on. He smirked and sank his shot. Kid picked a terrible night to die, Don said. Johnny dropped right when his new single dropped. Forever, my darling, my love will be true. Roby rocked back in his desk chair. Evelyn Johnson sat across from him. He held up the new issue of Billboard and read to her. The recent death of Ace gave added impetus to what would probably have been heavy first week sales in any case. Pledging my love is spiraling upward at dazzling speed. Roby looked at her before completing the sentence. Almost as popular with pop customers as with R&B. He set down the magazine. Pop, Evelyn, he repeated. White people are buying this record. He reclined back in his chair. Our number one R&B hits ship maybe 50,000 a year. A pop hit ships a million. He pushed a piece of paper across the desk. Evelyn saw William Morris Agency letterhead. Don said, this deal splits ownership of Pledging My Love with the biggest entertainment company in pop music. He looked Evelyn in the eye. They're going to pitch it to everyone on their roster. Sinatra, Satchmo, think of it. I get half of every penny that song makes over on the pop side. Roby felt a hand on his shoulder. He smelled Swisher Sweet Smoke. He turned his head to look, but was stopped by the cold barrel of a gun to his temple. Big Mama took the pen out of Don's hand. She signed her name to the contract and slid the paper across the desk to Evelyn. Evelyn looked at Don and signed her name. Don Roby added his signature, as Evelyn told him. You got bought out. Forever, my darling. Our love will be true Always and forever I love just you Just promise my darling Your love in return May this fire in my soul, dear Forever burn my heart's at your command, dear, to keep love and to own. Making you happy is my desire, dear. Thanks for listening to the Blues Hall of Fame podcast, brought to you by the Blues Foundation. The Blues Hall of Fame podcast is produced by Bill Street Caravan for the Blues Foundation, written by Preston Lauterbach and voiced by Guy Davis. For more information on the Blues Foundation, go to blues.org.
Bill Street Caravan has brought the sounds of Memphis to public radio airwaves for more than 20 years. And now you can see what we've been talking about. Check out our series of digital shorts through our website or go to iListenToMemphis.com. I Listen to Memphis is about Memphis music today, the people who make it, and the places and culture that fuel it. iListenToMemphis.com. Bill Street Caravan is supported by awards from Memphis Travel and Tennessee Arts Commission. We're back and we're setting the stage with Lucero, Memphis's crown jewel of alt country. Okay, JB, I'm going to take note because we're going to hear about this. Because we happen to go to the same bars and the same places the guys go. They hate being called alt country, but alternative country, it's an easy way to describe them. But there are so many other things that are poured into the music. So we're just going to take the lazy way out. And we're going to call him that. Well, I won't call it lazy. You know, I'm a journalist, and we love a good umbrella term, all right? <laughs> so I just got to put things in the categories just to make sure that they fit, that I, that I know what I'm carrying around. Well, it definitely doesn't say that we don't love this band. And to tell you a little bit more about them, back in February, Lucero was back home promoting the release of their latest full-length effort, Should Have Learned By Now. It's their second album in a row, produced by Grammy-winning producer, engineer, and songwriter Matt Ross Spang. Yes, after completing their previous album with Spang and Phillips recording, they re-entered the studio and helped to christen Matt Ross Spang's own new studio, Southern Grooves, becoming one of the first groups to give his new digs a spin. You know, I don't think they had any trouble breaking the place in. I peered down the hall a few times during the process as the studio was just near our offices that we're in right now. And you can hear it in the record just how comfortable with Matt Ross Spang the group has become. And really, that's kind of the magic in his production style. You always hear from artists that Matt's got a way of guiding without getting in the way. That's what you want from a good producer. And after an album in 2021, a pretty heavy soul searching in their songwriting, you can hear a little of that weight lifting as they ease into their latest album. You know what else you can hear, Pat? That signature Lucero twang and that down-home Memphis swing. <laughs> I think what you mean to say, JB, is that the band has built their fan base with their unique blend of classic Memphis rock and roll with a little country, a little punk, all added in. I always tell people that when you go to a Lucero show, you are going to be standing next to your best friend that you never knew, and y'all are going to be singing the songs word for word right there together. You always know how to put things so eloquently, Pat. No matter how much the band has grown through the years, you can continue to count on that perfect blend sitting right in the band's mix. You got it. Well, here is more from Lucero live on Bill Street Caravan.
for indulging us. We got a few more left. Thank you very much for hanging out all day, everybody.
we're so excited to have you on Bill Street Caravan and, and really excited to, to revisit uh, what has become such a staple around Memphis each year. Uh, the Lucero has changed names. It was the family reunion, right? But now we're talking about the barbecue. Is that right? Uh, it went from a picnic and now it's a block party. We started it over in Arkansas. And then when it moved to Midtown Memphis, it became a, a block party instead of a picnic. So yeah, the Stowe Family Block Party, I think is the official title. I'm sure tons of people travel from throughout the region, across the country. Uh, but this is sort of how a ground for Lucero. So I know that home cooking, that home crowd must feel amazing to you this event. Yeah, we're on the road so much. We don't play Memphis like we used to in the old days. So it's always a special thing to get to come home and, and do a, a big hometown show. And yeah, it always feels real good. The crowd's always very nice to us. Well, you mentioned that the, not only the name has changed, but the locales have changed through the years. I mean, what's sort of been the evolution of the venues through the years? There was a promoter over in Batesville, Arkansas, and he just wanted to do kind of an outdoor thing. He had a space down on the, the White River. And we're like, yeah. And we're like, let's try to do an annual thing. And that kind of was the how it originated. Uh, and we did a couple of Lucero picnics over in Arkansas. But then in 2015, we ended up moving it over to Minglewood, which is where it's been ever since. And I think that year in 2015, I think Robbie Grant actually played it and uh, Marcella and her lovers and the North Mississippi All-Stars played that year too. And so that was kind of the first real Midtown Memphis Lucero block party. And we've had great shows uh, almost every year since then. I think we might have skipped one during the pandemic, but yeah, it's been going strong ever since. Absolutely. And, you know, I was going to ask about that. I mean, not just this particular event, but, you know, how the band has sort of been able to adjust to and maneuver throughout, I mean, the global health crisis. It seems like Lucero, right. you know, did quite a lot just to, to keep the chops going, but also to keep engaged with the community during the interim. I mean, what was that gap of time like for you? I mean, that was kind of three years and, and really when we break it down, three records, we can get to the records, but... I mean, what was that period of time like just for you personally and, and for your membership in the band? Yeah, sure. It was a strange times, very unique experience as far as the life of the band goes. We'd never been through anything like that before. Nobody, I guess, had been through anything like that before. And we got home right before the lockdown happened. So we got home from tour and, you know, we were getting ready to gear up and prep the next tour. And then lockdown happened and we're like, oh, man, we're not going anywhere for a while. And then you find out you're not going anywhere for a long while. And it gets scary because this is what we do. And um, this is how we pay the bill. You know, there's four or five guys in the band and then crew. And there's a lot of folks kind of dependent on us being on the road. So it was scary, definitely at first. But luckily, like everybody else, we were able to do some online shows and kind of keep a presence online and sell tickets online uh, for web performances and that saved us luckily our crowd really came through and the fans who i guess they were stuck at home as well and i guess they were kind of hungry for for music any way they could get it and uh luckily they tuned in and, and bought tickets online and that really kept us afloat for a good year and a half almost two years uh until we started getting back out in the summer of 21, I guess, we kind of started creeping and back out into an outdoor socially distanced shows. But we were able to coast through that rough time really just with the help of our fans. And so that felt real good and it made it a lot less scary. And yeah, we ended up actually recording a record during that time with Matt Ross Bang over at Sam Phillips. So we put the downtime to good use and 
yeah, I spent a lot of time writing. And uh, I had a little girl, my daughter was, I think, three at the time. And so for me personally, I enjoyed my time at home. I got to spend a lot of time with my daughter that I would have missed otherwise if I would have been on the road at our normal pace. So yeah, I got to spend time at home writing songs and playing with my little girl and then doing these online shows. And it ended up being a, kind of a, for me, a very productive time. And there was a lot of good family memories during that time, actually, for me. So I was very lucky. But now, after all that's kind of said and done, it does feel very good to get back out on the road and see people face-to-face and play music in live venues again. It's just such a big part of what we do as a band. I appreciated my time at home with my family and writing songs, but it's good to get back out on the road. So, yeah, that kind of sums it all up. Yeah, I hear you. I mean... If I could stay there a bit, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like some of it was cathartic. Yeah, everybody was kind of isolated, you know? Um, and so I spent a lot of time um, just kind of down in my basement office where I, I do a lot of my writing. I just got to really focus on, I don't know, the work. Um, and I got to focus on songwriting and pursue a couple of different projects and give time to things that I've been wanting to do. Like, I've got some solo projects in the work, um, and even some synthesizer stuff with my stepdaughter, and different ideas that I never quite had time for, but I'd been thinking about. All of a sudden, I had nothing but time. I made the best of a kind of scary situation, and I got a lot done during that time. So yeah, as tragic as the pandemic has been for me personally, I didn't mind being at home with my family, to be honest. You talk about home and you talk about your basement office. This first record that came out, when you found me, uh, the, the yeah. pandemic sort of uh, kind of ramping down as the record came out. I mean, sense right. of place is, is a large theme, I feel, during that record. I mean, what does sense of place mean for you through that process, but also just uh, through your your personhood and your music Yeah, that record, it was definitely written kind of in isolation. I'll, I'll have some songs... And, you know, some of them are finished, some of them are halfway done, some of them are just sketches. But whatever I've got, I'll bring it to the band, and we'll rehearse, and we'll have practice. And they'll throw ideas and do their kind of thing, and we'll throw ideas around, and it becomes a Lucero song. And that's how we've done all the records in the past, really. But with this record, it was just me, you know, locked in my room by myself, making demos, and fleshing them out more than I would have in the past. I would have just taken the sketches to the guys and and we would have made them into Lucero songs. But with this record, it was it was just me. And I'm not sure if it was a reflection of the time, but it ended up being kind of a darker record sonically, just kind of moodier and more serious sounding. And I don't know, that's just what was in my brain at the time. And that's kind of what I enjoyed listening to when I was just listening to music on my own. It was just what I had a taste for at the time. And that came out on uh, When You Found Me, for sure. And so then I, when I finally got into the studio with the guys and, you know, we're all wearing masks, it was fun to be in the studio, but it was definitely odd circumstances. It wasn't business as usual. And so it was a little tricky. And yeah, I think for better or for worse, you can kind of hear that on the When You Found Me album. It definitely has a different tone than some of the other Lucero stuff. But um, I ended up really liking the record, but it's definitely, it's not representative of what Lucero does as a whole, but it's kind of cool to have that moment captured but yeah it's definitely a little bit different for us um but we got it made and and we released it during the pandemic and um we didn't go bankrupt making it um it could have turned out much worse it actually it turned out okay so yeah and now we've got a new record out that just came out uh last week we made it through and we're still trucking here's more from lucero live on bill street caravan 
Cheers, y'all. Thanks for staying to the very end, everybody. Little Chad, I can't run no more. I'll tell Kate it's serving at her door. There's long.
Thank you. That was Lucero live on Bill Street Caravan. For more info on the band and their studio releases, head over to Lucero's site. That's luceromusic.com. Bill Street Caravan is supported by awards from Memphis Travel and Tennessee Arts Commission. We like to remind our listeners to please show your support for public broadcasting. You won't find programming like this anywhere else. You can find Bill Street Caravan on all the social media outlets. Do you love Memphis music? Tell us why and use the hashtag #IListenToMemphis. Go to our website at BillStreetCaravan.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter to find out where the caravan is going to be next. And you can always keep up with Bill Street Caravan via our podcast that's available through iTunes. We'll be back next week, so until then, I'm Pat Mitchell Worley. And I'm Jared Boyd. And you've been listening to the sounds of Memphis on Bill Street Caravan. Oh,